From the African American Public Radio Consortium, it's a matter of your health. It's a matter of your health. The 30 minute radio show that gives you information and educates you on healthy living. Here's your host, board certified physician, hypertension specialist, Dr. Vita Bland. We're talking right now about breast health. We're in the midst of the Breast Health Month, and we want to talk about why we are concerned about breast health. And we're so pleased to welcome back Dr. Ashley Hawkins. Dr. Hawkins is a radiologist who specializes in mammography. She is the uh, director of Solus Mammography in Greensboro, North Carolina. Dr. Hawkins, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. First of all, let's talk a little bit about you. How and why did you become a radiologist uh, specializing in breast imaging? How did that happen? So uh, after graduating med school, I was doing a, a four-year residency in radiology. And radiology is just like the doctors that learn to read imaging studies, so CTs, X-rays, MRs, ultrasounds. And you rotate through all the different types of radiology exams and all the different body parts. And there's one rotation in um, breast imaging where you learn to read mammograms and ultrasounds of the breast and MRIs of the breast and to do biopsies, which is just when you put a needle in something and take a piece of it out. And um, I really loved that rotation because you actually got to talk to patients again, which in radiology, there's really only two types of radiologists that talk to patients. And this is one of them. And you get to see them every day and, um, you know, do procedures. And um, it was just really enjoyable because women, are, I think, are, are wonderful people and I love meeting them. And so um, that, that's how I became a breast imager. That is funny that you missed that patient interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but that's great. So, you know, we're talking about mammograms. You know, what is a mammogram and, you know, when was it discovered and, you know, how long have we been doing this kind of stuff? That's a great question. So the actual like x-ray technology for mammograms, you know, they knew about that in the early 1900s, but it was probably the 1960s where they really started to develop it as a screening tool for breast cancer. And then in the 1980s to 90s, is really when it became widespread. Um, and a mammogram, I should back up, is just um, basically x-rays of your breast. There's two images you take from the top on the left and the right side and from the side on the left and right side. So it's four images. And it's basically just pictures of what the insides of your breasts look like uh, on x-rays. And um, and the purpose is to, to see if there's a teeny tiny cancer in there um, to hopefully save lives. And so the 80s or 90s are when that kind of became widespread because um, several very landmark papers came out at that time that showed uh, close to, you know, 30 to 40 percent reduction in mortality or death by breast cancer in women that have been screened. And that's huge. And so um, now it's 2021. So, I mean, you could say at least 40 years we've been doing widespread screening in women for breast cancer. You know, it's amazing because we're only talking 40 years that we've been doing this uh, and the hugeness of how this procedure has made a difference in mm -hmm. the lives of, uh, you know, of many women. And it's only been 40 years. How how much we have progressed in such a short period of time. Yes. Thank goodness for that. So, you know, when we talk about mammograms, though, are there different types of mammograms and, you know, who should have them? When when should it be done and everything? 
Yes, another excellent question. So in general, there are two types of mammograms. One we call screening. And so this is what most of us think of where you go every year. Um, you do not need an order for this. You do not need to see your doctor for this. Your insurance usually covers this because it's um, preventive health maintenance. If you don't have insurance, um, most most breast imaging places have like a, a programs that will subsidize it for you, give you coupons. There's lots of ways you can get a regular screen mammogram. But you um, you go in, you get the four images taken. You're having no problems. Like your breasts are fine. There's nothing. You're not feeling anything. You get your images. You leave, and then usually um, within 48 hours, you get like a letter or email with your results. Um, now, the, the second type of mammogram is what we call diagnostic, which is just a fancy word for meaning there's some sort of problem you're having and we want to do an extra type of exam. So um, this would be for women maybe that have they feel a lump in their breast. They're having bloody nipple discharge or they're having skin changes. You know, the skin looks thicker or a different color. Um, the nipple maybe is kind of pulling in and never used to do that. Just something is different. Right. Something is just not the way it used to be. Um, you would call your doctor, tell them, oftentimes they want to see you, and then they would send you to us or to a breast imaging place for what we call a diagnostic mammogram. And how this is different is you're still going to get those same original four images, but the radiologist is going to look at them while you're there. And they're going to decide if you need extra pictures, like maybe um, some extra magnified views. Um, they oftentimes will maybe do an ultrasound as well. Not always, but sometimes we will do an ultrasound. And a lot of times we actually want to feel your breast and ourselves and look at it ourselves. And so, and then after all of that, we give you the results that day, like in person. So you don't have to leave and wait for the results. Um, and so the diagnostic is really in your mind, think of that as either something different about my breast and I want to get it checked out. And that's what that is. What, one of the things I want to go back to, though, is this. Mm -hmm. You said that people don't need an order to get it done. And I think a lot of people think that they have to see mm -hmm. their, you know, GYN or primary care doctor to get it done. They don't need an order to get that done. That's correct. And and I think that's hugely helpful for women because, you know, we always put ourselves last, especially, you know, if you got family members to take care of, you got a job, you got kids, whatever. So being able to just go online, find a place that's close to you that has convenient hours, whether early in the morning, in the evening, Saturdays, and just schedule it at your convenience is, is huge. And um, that's what women should be doing every year for their screening exam, for sure. Yeah. So I really hope, uh, you know, people and women across the, the country are listening when you say you don't have to have an order to get it done. Your insurance wants you to have this done. So go mm -hmm. call your provider and get it done. So who should have it done? You know, um, when do we start doing these kinds of things? So um, in the U.S., we like women, there's a little bit of controversy, but I'm going to tell you what I think is the best approach as a breast radiologist um, is every year beginning the age of 40. OK, so when you turn 40, this is for the average woman. And I'll go into the exceptions in a second. But for the average woman, once you begin when you're 40 every year until um, you don't think you're going to live five years or more. So, you know, if, if you're in really good health and you're 90 and you don't see any reason you're not going to live or make it to 96, then yes, go ahead and get your mammogram when you're 89 or 90 because, you know, we want, we don't want you to stop getting it 
get a breast cancer the next year and then just sit there and grow for five years if while you're still healthy otherwise. So as long as you know you're in good health and you think you'll be around for another five years, then there's no end date. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are a few exceptions where you might get your mammogram earlier. And those are um, women that have a, a family member that had breast cancer at a young age. So for example, um, if a woman's mother had breast cancer when she was 45, that woman would start 10 years earlier than the age her mother was diagnosed with. So in this case, it would be 35. Okay, so it's either um, the younger age, 10 years prior to whenever the family member had breast cancer or 40, whichever is younger. So would she get a mammogram, an ultrasound, or what would she get at 35? Okay, that's a great question. So what we recommend, let me back up before I answer that directly, is all women by the time they're 30 should do what we call a, a risk assessment. And this is where um, there's you can do it with your doctor. You can go online and Google, you know, breast cancer risk assessments. There's a couple that are really good and plug in the data yourself. But usually by the time you're 30, you want to have put this data in and you want to so you can determine whether you are an average risk woman or a high risk woman. OK, and what we did just and this means high risk for developing breast cancer in your lifetime. And anybody with over a 20% chance of getting breast cancer in their lifetime is considered high risk. And um, so that's why, and for those women, we do start screening earlier. And we also do screening um, it's a couple different ways, not only just mammogram, but also with MRIs. And so that's why it's really helpful and important that women at 30 kind of figure out which group am I in so that we can then um, customize extra screening for her. So most people are going to, you know, like I said, mammogram at age 40, but if you're high risk, um, if you are 30 or over, we'll do a um, mammogram and also usually we'll do an MRI in addition to mammogram. We don't want to do MRI in lieu of a mammogram when you're over 30. Um, if you're younger than 30, so 25 to 30 in that age group, we usually just do MRI. So the mammogram is more sensitive after a certain age uh, or what? So, yeah. so a lot of people probably heard about breast density, right? A lot of states across the country now, you have to be notified of what your breast density is. Now, um, there's four levels. We call them A, B, C, and D. A is the what we call fatty and D is the most dense. And the way to think about this is, um, is, is the denser a person's breast tissue is, the wider their mammogram looks. And the issue with that is cancer also looks white. So then you're stuck with your doctor's trying to find a snowman in a blizzard, right? Everything is white and it can be harder to find that snowman or cancer in the setting of very dense breasts. Um, Dense breasts also are independent risk factor for having breast cancer, increases your risk for breast cancer. So, um, So density is important. We all start out with dense breasts, most of us start with dense breasts as we're younger. And then as we age, that will change. So don't be surprised if your density changes over time. Um, and the other thing we can sometimes do with dense breasts, women that are kind of in what we call the intermediate risk um, of getting breast cancer sometimes, or we will offer supplemental screening with ultrasound in addition to a mammogram. Um, but by and large, when you're talking about the general population, women should be getting a mammogram. You can still detect breast cancer with a mammogram in women with dense breast. There are some exceptions where we might do extra screening in women with dense breast, but by and large, mammogram is going to be your best screening tool. When women get that report back that says they have dense breast, mm-hmm. it scares a lot of them. I think it, because they don't understand what it means, right? And I think that um, 
but also they don't know their their overall, like I said, at their overall risk, where they fall in the risk category. Are they an average risk woman where, you know, it's just a 13%? Are they an intermediate risk or maybe they have a 15 to 20% or are they high risk, you know? And I think it's those two groups, intermediate and high risk, where we need to consider, okay, I've got dense breasts, so, you know, it might be harder to see a cancer in a mammogram. What else can I be doing in those two groups to kind of help? But I don't think they should be scared. I just think they just need to be informed. Now, what's this 3D mammogram that people are talking about? <laughs> yes, 3D. So the the official medical term is tomosynthesis, but most of us call it 3D. And um, it came out, I mean, widespread at least 10 years ago, and it's very standard now. But remember, I mentioned those four images that we all get. We get um, one on the top on the left, one on the top on the right, and one from the side on the left, one on the side on the right. But and those are just plain images, just four images. But tomosynthesis or 3D is when... We get images that kind of scroll through the whole breast, almost like if anyone's ever seen a CT or an MRI where you're kind of just scrolling through the whole breast. That's what a tomosynthesis mammogram does. And it's really helpful for seeing better in those dense breasts. It's helpful for um, picking out tiny cancers. And also it's very helpful in reducing calling people back for false positives, like when that tissue overlaps each other and you can't quite tell, is it just overlapping funny this year or is there something there? If you scroll through those 3D images, a lot of times you can answer that question and you don't need to call them back, which was really nice for the patient because nobody wants to get called back and have to A, worry about it and B, you know, schedule one more thing in their busy lives. So tomosynthesis has been a wonderful addition to breast imaging. Initially, when it first came out, Sometimes there was an extra charge. Has that gone away now? Um, I think it should. Medicare covers it. Medicaid covers it. It's pretty standard in most screenings and then in diagnostic as well. Okay. Let me stop and take uh, the time to reintroduce our guests. Uh, We're very pleased to have Dr. Ashley Hawkins. Dr. Hawkins is the medical director of Solus Mammography in Greensboro, North Carolina. She is a radiologist who specializes in mammography. Dr. Hawkins, we talked about the high-risk woman and what makes someone high-risk, okay? And they should go online and, you know, do that risk assessment. Mm -hmm. And when there's a family history, also they are uh, high-risk. Is there anything else that we should be concerned about? You know, we have women who have this really strong family history of breast cancer, you know, um, and they get the blood test done. You know, when should we be telling women to get those kinds of things done? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great question because one of the most common things I hear in my practice is, unfortunately, when I do have to tell someone they have breast cancer, they'll be like, I don't have a family history. And I have to tell them, most women with breast cancer do not have a family history, okay? So you can be high risk and have no family history. That is, that, and that's why I think these risk assessments are so important because then you can determine what are your risk factors. So women that wait till after they're 30 to have a baby, that is a risk factor. Women that have never had a baby, that is a risk factor. Um, Like I said, women that have that dense breast on their mammogram, that is a risk factor. Um, It being, um, very, very overweight when you're postmenopausal is a risk factor because that that extra fat we carry when we're postmenopausal can turn into estrogen. And all of those things mean you just have a lot of estrogen floating in your system for many, many years. Okay. And so all of those things affect your 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 risk for breast cancer. So um 
not just family history. Now, family history is also tricky because it depends on who had it, right? If you have a man in your family, a family with a breast cancer, much, you know, much higher risk that there's a genetic mutation or much more likely there's a genetic mutation in your family. If it's your aunt or your cousin, you know, that might just be statistics, right? Because one in eight women have breast cancer. If it's your mom or your sister, then we start kind of thinking, hmm. And so, when you do that risk assessment, one of the things that will come out of that is whether or not you qualify for genetic testing. And genetic testing is not just good for determining if you might have a risk for breast cancer, but also pancreatic cancer, colon cancer. There's some of those cancers all kind of float on the same genetic mutation. And so um, getting genetic testing is is very helpful for those that qualify. Um, and if you're high risk, your insurance should pay for it. Um, and that can be done as part of the high-risk assessment. Did we talk about a high-risk clinic in Greensboro by any chance? I don't think we mentioned that yet, have we? No, uh, please go ahead. Okay, great. So this summer, um, the in, in the Greensboro community, and a lot of communities have this. So while I'm speaking about Greensboro, please look in your own community because many places nowadays have what we call a high-risk clinic. And basically, it's where women who are deemed high risk, that greater than 20% chance of lifetime risk of breast cancer can get seen by a clinician that specializes in uh, women who are at high risk and kind of come up with a customized screening and follow-up plan for them. And in that, they will determine whether you qualify for genetics. They'll get your genetic testing done for you. They will um, determine, you know, would you benefit from ultrasound or MRI every year? Um, and, and there's another thing we call chemo prevention. In some women, there's a pill that, that they might be recommended to take to prevent or reduce their risk of getting breast cancer. So a high-risk breast clinician can kind of look at you, talk to you about all these different risk reduction strategies and come up with a plan. Um, the way it works in our practice is when women come in, we ask them all these screening questions, and then there's two computer models we use. It spits out whether they're high-risk or not. If they're high-risk, they get a letter, and they're in the office. I talk to them, and then the letter just mentions these are the high-risk clinicians. If you're interested, you know, call them. And um, if you're not in Greensboro, you can just probably just Google high-risk clinic in your area, like whatever city you're in, and see what comes up. And um, I'm sure there's a nurse navigator or call that you could call and kind of figure out where that is for you. Wow, that's great. I'm really happy to hear that it's going to be in this area. Um, now, that clinician, is that someone who is a, a radiologist, an internist? Uh, you know, what 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 specialty are we looking at? They're usually um, usually either medical oncologists or um, nurse practitioners, PAs who specialize in breast cancer or breast surgeons. So in Greensboro area, we have three breast surgeons and then um, three medical oncologists and two nurse practitioners, all who just work in the field of breast cancer. Um, and they're the ones that are doing a high risk clinic where they're just seeing these high risk women, because as one of them likes to say, I would much rather like, you know, prevent a breast cancer than treat their breast cancer. So, so I, I'm super thrilled about it. They, um, I think they're excited about it. I think the women appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, you know, feel like they're doing something to prevent it. So. That's great. That's really great. I had not heard about it, so I'm really happy to hear about that. And hopefully women across the country will be looking to see if they, you know, end up being in that high risk uh, category that they should look at that. I'm going to just throw this one out at mm -hmm. you. What about self-breast examinations? What are your thoughts on that? So I think self-breast examinations are actually still important as long as you do them the right time interval. And so doing them every day, every week is probably a little too frequently and not really helpful. I think picking one time a month 
and try to have it be the same time of the month, whether it's the first of the month or your birthday, something you can remember. Okay. And if you're still menstruating, it falls kind of in the same place of your cycle each month. Just so you know what your baseline breasts feel like, because everybody's breasts are lumpy, right? Everybody's. I've been feeling breasts for 15 years, right? We all have lumpy breasts, but you need to know what's normal for you. And I think that's what, that way, you know, what's changing. Because if you don't know what's normal for you, you won't know if it's a change or not. So I do think it's, it's important and it has a role. Um, And, but I just think you need to be judicious or careful and not um, think, oh, well, this is a new change or this is, you know, every day, if you're doing it every day, you're probably going to find a change every day. And, and that's not really what we're looking for. We're looking for um, changes that are, are new over, you know, a couple of months don't go away because sometimes people will feel a lump and with their cycle. And then when the period ends, it goes away. That's good. If it goes away, that's great. It's not a cancer. Cancers don't go away. Um, but something that's persisting, you know, that's, that's worth going to talk to your doctor and coming and seeing us and let us check it out. Do you think that's something we should be teaching teenagers? That's a good question. Um, I think I think all women should be taught it personally. Like if you have breasts, you should be taught how to do it and do it right. Um, because there's a there's also a good way to do it and a bad way to do it, right? Like if you're just sort of like gently patting and you know maybe like sitting up, you know that's not necessarily really the way to do it. You know you need to be with your arm up. You kind of need to feel superficial, middle deep, and kind of just. What does it feel like for you? That's the best thing I could tell you is know what your breasts feel like and what they always feel like. I will say anything that's hard and fixed, that would that always concerns me. I don't care if it's a teeny tiny size of a pinhead. If it's hard, think of like an old dried bean or a pebble um, and it won't move. That's concerning. A lot of us have lumps and bumps that you can kind of roll around and they'll move between your fingers or they're kind of squishy, kind of like jelly beans or gummy bears. Those are usually benign, but if it's still, if it's a change, it's better to get it checked out. You know, when you first started speaking, you said that that in the U.S. we do things one way. <laughs> so are you saying that in other countries, are, are they are as advanced as we are, or are they <laughs> more advanced than we are, or what, what? You know, what's your thought process on that? So, um, in most of Europe, they only do screening every two years. However, when they do screening, it's not the way we do screening. It's really more of a diagnostic exam. A woman gets um, her mammogram. Um, a lot of times she also gets a screening ultrasound and then it's read by two radiologists. OK, that's how they typically do it, like in, in France and in Europe every two years. Um, and in the U.S., they like we don't double read. That's when two doctors read it. We don't always do an extra ultrasound. We just do the screening mammogram and we do it. I, we do it every year. And I think that every year is beneficial because we catch cancers when they're tinier and they're easier to treat. It is much, much better on a patient to have a teeny tiny little five millimeter cancer and just get it taken out, maybe get radiation, maybe not, versus have a two and a half centimeter cancer that now also has something up in her lymph node and now she's got to get chemotherapy. And um, that's a totally different life-changing treatment event for a woman. And um and I think that is going to happen more often if you wait a longer interval, which is kind of what we've seen with COVID. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people didn't come last year. So not just in here in North Carolina, but across the U.S., you know, we have twice as many patients now that are here. And not only is it harder, the volume is just so much greater. We're trying to squeeze people in, but also um, people that didn't, haven't come for two or three years, you know, the cancers aren't always the teeny tiny ones because they've been saying they're growing for three years. So 
Um, it's always better to, I think, every year so we can treat it when it's a curable tiny cancer. And, you know, the way you guys do your mammograms, it's a safe environment. So, you know, we're encouraging patients to go in and not let COVID prevent them from going in to be seen. Absolutely. I mean, all of us are wearing masks. All of us are vaccinated. Patients are wearing masks. You know, there's usually like a, a lead wall between the technician or the technologist and the patient other than just when we're positioning you. Um, very safe and you know, certainly the risk of catching COVID in that environment with all the safety precautions is is far less than the risk of, you know, not getting a mammogram and, you know, having a, a, a breast cancer sit there for a couple of years. That's that to me, that's a worse outcome. But one of the things also that I hear patients talk about, they are afraid or there's a fear that the mammogram is going to be painful. Yes, that's true. I hear that a lot. Um and pain is a very subjective thing, I'll be honest with you. You know, some women, like I do a lot of biopsies, right? And some women, you know, they're like, oh, I didn't even feel that, you know, like when you're numbing them up. And some women are like screaming. And so there is a sub- subjectivity to it, though. But I, I think for the most part, um, mammograms are not painful. You know, they, they aren't necessarily comfortable because you're usually in these weird positions. And there is, you know, your breast is getting kind of smushed a little bit. But it's not painful by any means. If it is, you just tell a technologist and they can, you know, decrease the compression and make it less, you know, tight. But I don't I don't think it's I think there are ways to manage that. There are also these things called mammo pads, or like these little soft squishy pads that you can put on the X-ray platform to help with that. There's curved paddles some places use to kind of help with that. So there's definitely things that can be done. I wouldn't let that scare you because you you are in control. You are in the driver's seat. And if you're like, this hurts, you just tell a technologist. This hurts. And then she will do what she can to make it less painful for you or less uncomfortable, I would say. The other thing I hear I always say is, is they're really scared to get called back. Like it's that callback, like, oh, your mammogram's different this year. You need to come back. And I did want to just give some information out there because I feel like um, data is really powerful. And so across the country, whether you look at private practices or academic centers, hospitals, you know, big ones like Duke or whatnot, um, most people that get called back for a change on their mammogram, it's nothing. It's like overlapping tissue. It's a benign cyst, which is a sack of fluid. It's a, a lymph node. It, it, 70% of callbacks are totally normal, okay? Um, and then for those 30% of callbacks where we say, hey, I think we need to do a biopsy. Remember, that's why I talked about you put the needle in something and take a piece of it out. Even biopsies, right? 70% of biopsies across the country are benign, meaning not cancer, so don't let the fear of a callback or possibly a biopsy keep you from getting your mammogram. Just remember, you know, the vast majority of the time a callback is, is nothing to worry about. You know, most of the times when we think of a mammogram, we're talking about a woman. But there right. are incidences when we need to have a guy come in and have it done. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So, um So there's two situations. I'll talk about the less common one first, and that's men that have a known genetic mutation. So that's the the most common are the BRCA1, BRCA2 genes. If there's a man who has that in his family or he has it, um, then they recommend it. If also he has what we call a little bit of breast tissue, there's a fancy name for that. It's gynecomastia, but it's just a little bit of breast tissue. Lots of men get it. Then he should be getting a mammogram either age 50 or that 10 years I talked about earlier, 10 years earlier than when his family member got breast cancer if it's a male. Um, Now, that's the more rare one, right? The most common setting I see it is like a man feels a lump 
just like we all do, like women, not all of us, but most women will sometimes feel a lump. They feel a lump or it's painful. They'll say, I put my shirt on and when my shirt rubs my nipple, it really hurts and they'll feel a lump. Um, again, this goes back to like what I talked at the beginning. That's a case for a diagnostic mammogram. That is a problem. That is a change. And so they will come in and we will do a mammogram first because a lot of times it's that what we talked about, um, gynecomastia, that little bit of breast tissue and happens in a lot of men as they get older. I also see it in some younger men if they're um, taking steroids for weightlifting, maybe smoking a lot of pot. There are certain situations where sometimes that can happen. Um, but when you get over 50, just unfortunately, you know, one of the peccadillos of aging, um, men can get a little bit of gynecomastia or breast tissue um, and it will feel like a lump and it will hurt. And so we can tell that on a mammogram, it's just plain breast tissue. Now, there are men that get breast cancer. It's not common. It's less than 1%, but it does happen. I've, I've seen it multiple times. Um, and that's why if you feel a lump, you do need to get it checked out. Don't ignore it. If you're a man that feels a lump, you need to come in, let us look at it and make sure that it's just breast tissue or a teeny tiny sack of fluid and not a breast cancer. Now, if you're a guy, do you is it is it the same thing that they don't need to have an order to have it done or is it different with a guy? Um, it would be diff- if it's a diagnostic, which usually it is 95 percent of the time it is because it's, mm-hmm. it's a problem, then they would need an order. for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. OK, well, we're coming down to the end of our time together. We've been so pleased to have Dr. Ashley Hawkins. She is a radiologist who specializes in mammography at Solus in Greensboro, North Carolina. Dr. Hawkins, what words of wisdom do you want to leave with us today? Get your mammogram every year starting age 40 if you're an average risk woman. Don't be anxious or scared, okay? 90% of the time everything is fine and this and we want to catch a breast cancer when it's curable. Most breast cancers nowadays are curable. So that's why it's so important to catch it when it's early. And then the last thing I would say is if if you think there's a change in your breast, like you think the skin looks different or the nipple looks different or you feel something, don't downplay that. Don't let your doctor downplay that. Don't let the technologist downplay that. Be your advocate for yourself. I mean, I know this is a change and make sure that it gets um, evaluated thoroughly. Well, Dr. Hawkins, we thank you so much for taking your time. Well, it's my pleasure. It's always lovely talking to you, Dr. Bland. Thank you, and we appreciate you, and I'm sure we'll be calling you again soon. It's a matter of your health. It's a matter of your health. The 30-Minute Radio Show with Dr. Vita Bland. It's brought to you by the African-American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.